This morning, we continue with the Advent theme of journeying in the way, walking on the way in the way of God's heart within our neighborhoods and severe uh, and spheres of influence. Last Sunday, Pastor Jeff preached on the theme to guide our feet in the way of peace. And as the basis of his message, he used from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and then also looking in the New Testament, Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. Today, we will also use a passage from the Old Testament and the New Testament, starting the passage from, um, from the book of Matthew 3, 1 to 11, speaking of God's harmony, God's peace, the peace that came through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also, uh, we pick up the, se- the theme of John the Baptist and look at Isaiah 11, chapter 1 to 10, where Isaiah visualizes a new reality, a reality that is so very different from what we experience in our day and our time. So first of all, Matthew 3, 1 to 11. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming To where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was the announcer. John was the forerunner of Jesus. That is why John the Baptist came. John was a prophet. He was a prophet in the tradition of Elijah. His appearance was of a man of the wilderness. Camel's hair and a leather belt were the marks of a wilderness life. And locusts and wild honey was the fare of one who lived close to nature, one 
who lived close to the earth, and that is what, what he had to eat. John, like the prophet Elijah before him, had a word from the Lord, and his message was, repent, in other words, turn from sin and be baptized. Repent, turn from sin, and turn toward God. Now, the writer here in Matthew, Matthew does not give the details of John's message. But Luke does in Luke 3, 10 to 14, that Luke records the responses of three groups that came to John the Baptist and asked and inquired of John. And they asked how he should live or how they should live. In Luke 3, 10 to 14, from the New Living Translation. The crowds asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do, asked some soldiers. And John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. In Matthew 3, John calls his congregants, the people who came to him to listen to them, he calls them a brood of snakes, a brood of vipers. The Pharisees were the leaders and the interpreters of the religious law. The Sadducees were also leaders in a group there in Palestine who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And now both of these groups and others, as we see from Luke, were coming to John and wanted baptism. And John then has a word for them. And John sternly instructs the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He instructs them to show their repentance by their lives. And he says to these religious leaders, don't appeal to your heritage. Don't appeal to the fact that you, your fathers went all the way back were descendants of Abraham. Instead, he says, Live in the way of repentance. Live in the way of God. Live according to God's laws and according to what God expects. I would suggest that if John were preaching to us, if John would would have come here this morning, that he would say, do not appeal to your Christian or your Mennonite upbringing. Instead, he would be saying, show evidence of discipleship, show evidence of repentance by the way that you live, that you have been with Jesus. And instead of appealing to Abraham, those wanting to escape judgment must show evidence of the righteousness of God in their lives. They must show evidence that indeed they have been with Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 7, He goes into detail about this. And he says, 
beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now that, those are the words of Jesus, also pretty, pretty in-your-face words that we need to bring forth the fruits of repentance and I'll say more about that as I talk about the takeaway, two takeaways from this, this sermon. So those who walk in the way of God's heart, those who walk in the holy way, will need to work toward peace and reconciliation, peace and harmonious relationships with one another. Those who walk in the way of God's heart, in the way of God's heart, will work for harmony in all the spheres of our lives, wherever we have influence with others. John is saying, don't trust in your heritage. Don't trust in your heritage to bring about the transformation in your life. Don't trust in your background to bring about the change that God desires. Don't trust in your background or who have been your heritage. The transformation in our behavior, the transformation in our attitudes and habits comes to us as we allow the fullness of Jesus Christ and as we allow the Spirit of God to enter into our lives and to penetrate every nook and cranny of our hearts and to bring about that transformation through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Spirit in our lives. And transformation and change does not occur if, as we can claim a long line of ancestors who were part of the church. Transformation does not take place when we can claim a long lineage of Mennonite members in our background and we think because of that then we will have and be able to live a transformed life. Jesus is saying, and John the Baptist is saying, not so. In Philippians 1.11, Paul prays that at the end of time, and Paul gives us a glimpse into his, into his heart and into his thinking, and I, I just, I, the Apostle Paul is one of my favorite characters in the scriptures, particularly in the, New in the New Testament. And he prays for the believers at Philippi that, quote, they will produce a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the praise and glory of God in Philippians 1.11. Now, in contrast, 
to walking in God's way, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 6, that we have all gone or we have all turned to our own way. And as a result of this, as we desire our own way, it seems that Isaiah's vision of a new reality, Isaiah's vision of a new way of being in the world, seems like a long way off, particularly in some of the statistics that I will look at at this time. In our own nation, it appears that the poor and the needy are once again victimized and trod upon. The income gap between rich and poor has been growing since the 1970s. And as of 2014, the average income of someone in the nation's top 0.1%, one-tenth of 1%, was over 184 times that of someone in the bottom 90%. We live in a very fractured world internationally. Difficulty with nations getting along with nations. Not only in the Middle East, but also here in this hemisphere, particularly with our nation and Cuba. Our world is fractured and in the Middle East particularly as warfare continues in the nations of Syria and Iraq. Iraq's second largest city, Mosul, has been under the control of ISIL since 2014. And currently a military offensive is underway in that city to free the city. And about 1.5 million people live there. And it was reported this week that a supply line of fresh water, a supply line of water, was hit during the fighting, and water is now cut off for about 45% of the people. It's reported that water, food, and health services are now non-existent in the city of Mosul. The news report indicated, quote, that some 74,000 civilians have fled Mosul so far, and the United Nations is preparing for a worst-case scenario which foresees more than a million people made homeless as winter descends and food shortages set in, end of quote. John came announcing the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting to note also that Jesus used these same words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when he announced the kingdom when Jesus announced the kingdom in Matthew 4, 17. And repentance can mean going in one direction and then we turn an about face and turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction. That's what we mean by repentance. Turning away from sin and turning toward God and living in that way of repentance. Let's turn then to the Old Testament, and we see the prophet Isaiah describing a very different reality, the reality of God's kingdom and the kingdom that will come. 
in Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. The prophet says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah here sees the root of Jesse springing forth from the stump. In chapter 10, before this cha- right before this chapter, the forests are cut down, the trees are felled, and yet here Isaiah is able to see this wonderful root, this wonderful branch, referring, of course, to Jesus Christ. And Isaiah has a vision for peace and harmony. This kingdom will be under the Messiah, And this will be a marvelous kingdom. God will dwell in our relationships, including our relationships with the animal kingdom. There will not be enmity. There will not be strife. There will not be enmity even in the relation between humanity and the animals. And then in verse 6, Isaiah uses a very picturesque analogy to describe this peaceable kingdom. A wolf, renowned adversary of the lamb, will live in harmony. The leopard lies down as one satiated and content in the presence of the goat. And then there's this delightful trio. The calf, the lion, and the yearling will be together. And as it's usually pictured, on either side is the beast of burden, and in the center is the lion the king of the forest, and a young child, a young, inexperienced child will lead this trio, this this hodgepodge of, of animals, the peaceable kingdom as depicted by the artist, the peaceable kingdom where the animals, the ferocious animals are subdued, and a delightful picture of the coming peaceable kingdom with the Messiah as, or of the Messiah as one artist pictures it. 
that the nature of animals will change. The bear is at peace with the cow, a domestic animal. The lion, as already indicated, is tame and will eat hay like the, like the cow. This indeed, my friends, is a new reality, a different reality, a coming of the peaceable kingdom that is on its way, but not yet. Verse 9, they will not hurt or destroy on my entire holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this vision of peace, this vision of nonviolence, is not just for Judah. This, it says, the whole earth and the entire holy mountain, this vision of peace and this new reality is for all the earth. Someday, someday, the entire earth will be transformed and nations will live in peace. In fact, John sees the book in the book of Revelation refers a number of times to, to the nations. The vision of the holy mountain, the entire earth will be free of violence and will be able to live in harmony and in peace one with another. So are we able, are we able to catch a vision of this new reality, a vision for peace and harmony to live and work and bring heat, peace and harmony into the situations that we are a part of? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers actively involved. Jesus expects us to take an active role, to be a participant in bringing peace and harmony to conflictual situations. Back in the year 1984, Mennonite World Conference met at Strasbourg, France, and at that conference, at that Mennonite World Conference, and all the, from all the different nations, and similar to the Mennonite World Conference that took place here in, in Harrisburg uh, the other year, last year, uh, there was a conference in Strasbourg, France, and Ron Sider challenged the attendees with these words, and he said, over the past 450 years of martyrdom, immigration, and missionary proclamation, the God of Shalom has been preparing us Anabaptists for a late 20th century rendezvous with history. And he predicts that the next 20 years will be the most dangerous and perhaps the most vicious and violent in human history. And if, if we are ready to embrace the cross, God's reconciling people will profoundly impact the course of world history. This could be our finest hour. Never has the world needed our message more. Never has it been more open. Now is the time to risk everything for our belief that Jesus is the way to peace. If we still believe it, now is the time to live what we have spoken. Now, that challenge by Ron Sider back in 1984, did not land on deaf ears. 
because as a result of his challenge, the Church of the Brethren, the Mennonite, the various Mennonite groups, and also the, the Quakers worked together to form the Christian Peacemakers team. And these teams go to the various trouble spots throughout our world and advocate on behalf of those who are victims and victimized and subjugated by others. And those on the teams are willing to give their lives, giving, giving up their lives if necessary, on behalf of peace, on behalf of peace in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And I would suggest that it's not only the late, the late century that just ended, but also the beginning of this new century where we have experienced some of the most vicious and violent violence throughout our world. We live in a very, very troubled world. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willeman are professors at Duke University, and they suggest, they suggest, and I like this title, they suggest that we are resident aliens, that we reside in a particular nation, but that nation does not claim our total allegiance, that we are aliens from another kingdom. We are aliens from God's nation, and we are residing here in a particular nation on this earth. Willeman and Harawas write, quote, the Sermon on the Mount is the inaugural manifesto of how the world looks now that God has taken matters in hand. And essential to the way that God has taken matters in hand is the invitation to all people to become citizens of a new kingdom, a messianic community where the world God is creating takes visible, practical form, end of quote. The world that God is creating takes visible, practical form right here as part of the community of believers. We demonstrate to the world how the reality of the new reality, the reality of the kingdom of God. So, on this second Sunday of Advent, how do we apply this to our lives? I offer two takeaways. First, each of us needs to ask the question, where is God calling me to repent? In which area of my life is God asking me to make some radical changes? Might it be in the area of my finances to give, as John the Baptist emphasized, if you have two coats, to give one to the poor? And we have plenty to eat in this late nation, many of us. Are we able to respond and do we respond out of our own compassion. And we need to remember to give to the poor the, throughout the entire year, but especially we're at this season, we're called upon to remember the least of these. And so I am grateful for the opportunity to partner with Living Water, Living Water Internationally, that, uh, that we saw about. I'm also grateful to practice what we might call the reverse advent calendar, where you, rather than looking at what you can get, you look at what you can give and set aside particular items. And these items are listed in the bulletin today uh, as we have identified three ways that we can give. 
listed right here to be involved in collecting items for the Hempfield School District. Also, you should have received uh, you should have received this uh, sheet in your mailbox, and if you did not or misplaced it, why there are additional for there are additional ones uh, available on the information desk. The second takeaway is how am I demonstrating and living out God's heart in my spheres of influence? Will people and do people know that I am a Jesus follower by the way I live and by the way I speak and by my words and by my, my attitudes and by, by how I connect with them? Do they know that I'm a, a Jesus follower? And spheres of influence, it might be persons you work with. It might be persons whom you live beside. It might be persons down, down the hall or down, down the street from where you live. Or it might be the teachers of your children uh, who, teach, who to teach your children uh, in school. These are opportunities for spheres of influence that you may have. And are you working at providing the oil of harmony and peace in these spheres of influence? In Acts, you look at the book of Acts, the message is the gospel of the kingdom. In Luke one, in Acts one three, Luke records that Jesus was with the disciples and he preached the kingdom of God. And in Acts eight twelve, Philip the evangelist went to Samaria and he preached the kingdom. And he preached the kingdom to a person who had been involved under the satanic, uh, involved in magic arts. Bill Vitek and Wes Jackson say in the book that they edited, the Christian duty, Anabaptists insist, is not to make pacts, P-A-C-T-S, with the powers that be, but rather to live as though the reign of God were indeed in their midst, end quote. We are called, my sisters and brothers, to live as though the reign of God is in our midst. May all of us, may all of us live in this new reality to live as though the reign of God is in our midst. Amen. May it be so.